If you've ever been to a Formula One race, I'm sure you've felt the intensity and the spectacle of watching some of the fastest motor vehicles on the planet competing for the main prize. Motorsports display the accomplishments of human ingenuity and engineering, but at the same time, gives us a glimpse at our gluttonous pursuit for more, regardless of the costs involved. So in the rapidly changing world, can the foundations of motorsports change to remain relevant with our new ecological values? Welcome to Racing Green, the podcast that explores the ideas, innovations, and influences making waves in the journey towards a sustainable future for our planet. In each episode, we'll investigate the new challenges, ingenious solutions, and the undiscovered opportunities that lie at the heart of our rapidly changing world. We aim to accelerate a new era founded on optimism and impactful collective responsibility. Today, we speak with Mark Preston, team principal of DS Chichita winning racing team within the rapidly expanding Formula E circuit as we investigate the new technologies disrupting the motor racing industry and ultimately helping to change the face of motorsports forever. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Good to be here. Great. Well, um, I'd love it if you could give us some background on your career in, in racing and, and, and especially how it brought you to Formula E. Yeah, so I, I started in racing actually in Melbourne, in Australia, um, where I did Formula Fords while I was, um, I started doing that while I was at university. And uh, a number of years later, moved to the UK when a guy called Tom Walkinshaw bought Arrows Grand Prix team. Um, I came over here just before uh, my 27th birthday and worked my way up in, in Formula One. So I worked at uh, Arrows Grand Prix, then I went to McLaren. And then I did something crazy. I started a Formula One team with oh. Aguri Suzuki and Honda called Super Aguri Formula One, which we ran for a few years until sadly the, the 2008 financial crash, which meant um, the Honda pulled out of Formula One at the time, which they again did recently. So I went off and did a few things. Um, we were suppliers to a number of the new F1 teams with a composites company we ran. And then I got involved in uh, electric motors helping a spin-out company from Oxford University called Oxford Yasser Motors. And that got me interested in electric vehicles. And then basically the FIA and Alejandro Agag uh, announced they were going to start Formula E. And in about 2014, we started Aguri um, again in, um, in Formula E. So I've been involved in Formula E over the last number of years. Wow. So, so racing has really been your thing, quite a career. Yeah, pretty much everything associated with racing. Fast life, eh? Yes. <laughs> so the, the attraction to Formula E, was it the technology? Was it the, you know, like the kind of cutting edge? Or is it something, a bit of a spin-off and your, your real passion is Formula One? Um, for me, in racing, it's got to be relevant to the, to the world, let's say. And I was starting to find that Formula One was not really heading in a direction I felt that uh, was headed for the future. And when I started looking at electric vehicles, I realized that, you know, they, they were the future. And I mean, this is back in 2009, by the way, oh, wow. yeah. when, um, if everybody's been watched top gear, there was a, a crazy car they had on, on in 2008 <laughs> or nine, they made themselves in Oxfordshire. 
Um, so that's how far we've come. And I've always enjoyed being in disruptive innovation. And that's what motorsports is all about, you know, risking things, trying new things, but at the same time being relevant to the future. And that's what I enjoy about uh, Formula E. And if I wanted to get super technical, I believe that an electric powertrain or drivetrain is actually, because I come from a vehicle dynamics background, it should be the fastest car in the end. Uh, so I think um, in terms of outright performance, right at this minute, Formula One is, is faster, but as time goes on, we're getting quicker and quicker all the time. Okay, so so actually there's going to be a competition one day between the Formula One and Formula E for who's the fastest of your race off. It could be. I mean, at the moment we're at, we're at about 250 kilowatts and they are probably up in the five 600 range or more. Um, but our next generation of Formula E cars, which is coming um, up soon, will we'll jump to an, uh, 350 kilowatts. I mean, I mean, that's getting to be quite a powerful car. You know, that's like 500 horsepower. Mm. It's quite exciting that the rate of development we're, we're having in Formula E. Wow. Okay. Well, I'd love to get a little bit later into the kind of the impact of technology and what it's going to have the, on the general car industry and 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 how how that technological developments um, are going to help us as consumers as well. But if you could first just give us a sort of a picture of the Formula E competition. We know it's electric cars, but it's history and and, and its main purpose. Sure. I mean, for the future, we we see that electric vehicles be the most um, used to the climate, let's say, in in cities and and especially mega cities. So you know that's the Londons, Paris, New York, those and other cities around the world that we that we travel to. Um, so we race in cities. So we're actually going to Saudi Arabia next week, and we're going to race in one of the oldest cities there in the in the world. And then we'll move on to places like Rome. We'll be downtown in Rome. Wow. Um, we would have been in Paris, but um, given the situation at the moment, we're actually too close to the center of town in Paris, I think, for, for the moment. Um, so it's city racing, electric vehicles and city racing. It's very tight and twisty. The circuits are, as one of the drivers explained to me, the walls come at you pretty fast in Formula E. And this is a guy who'd won Le Mans three times and is used to driving oh, wow. at 400 kilometers an hour. So... Um, <laughs> He was just saying, you know, it's it's fast and furious uh, in a, in a city track. Um, so electric vehicles, city tracks, which makes it great for fans um, and stuff to you know come and and visit the racetrack. It's not like you're out in the middle of nowhere. So it's um yeah, it's it's a really exciting series and and really cool for the future. And there are twelve teams involved. Is that right? Yep, twelve teams. And and uh, I was one of the in one of the first teams in in Formula E. So I've been here since the beginning. But now we have, you know, everybody from Porsche, Mercedes, BMW, where with DS Automobiles, which is part of a, a new group called Stellantis, which is a very large group of automobile companies, and uh, people like Nissan, Mahindra. So there's a lot of big competition that we're in at the moment. Wow. Obviously, COVID's affected a lot of sports at the moment. So there's, a, you know, is Paris the only city that, that you're unable to host the events uh, this year? Or is there, are there other cities that have been cut out of the program? So they're constantly moving things. We were going to go to Santiago a few weeks ago, but given <clears throat> that Christmas had sort of, there'd been a lot of things going on over Christmas, that race got delayed. So we will go to Santiago a bit later. Everyone's having to be really flexible, including the cities, which yeah. are, are, of course, Paris, we don't think will happen this year, but it, it will probably, um, it will happen again uh, next year. Um, Rome looks like it's okay uh, because we're in a certain part of the city, which um, is away from the from the sort of the crowded areas of the Colosseum, et cetera. Mm. And then we will go to other cities as things start to change uh, during the year. 
things have to stay fairly fluid. But the good thing is we've already run an event in Berlin last year for um, the final races of our series. And that was all under the same protocols, uh, COVID protocols as the Bundesliga uh, football. So we've had experience and proved that we can you know, run everything correctly and to all the right protocols. And, that, and that's what's being put in place for our next event uh, in Saudi. So we're very confident that we can run things well and successfully in, in the right manners. And if it doesn't fit, then we'll go to um, different, different racetracks for the, um, the races that take place uh, in between some of the cities we can go to. So is Formula E same audience or is it there's different attraction with Formula E? We've, um, we've actually got a, um, a channel that anybody can join on Viber. If you're interested um, for DS to Cheetah, and and we've got about 400,000 fans on that one, I believe. And we did a little survey actually just after Christmas to see what people's interests were. And and Formula One is a pretty high uh, level of interest amongst those fans. So I think mm. we've got the, I don't know if it's all the same, but there's many Formula One fans that, that watch Formula E. I think they watch it because it's very unpredictable. It happens in a different way to Formula One. So we get different results, let's say. There's many different winners in Formula E. So I think based on the format and the way the races happen and the, and the rules, etc. So I think we do get the same technophiles, let's say, the people that love technology, like myself, for example, mm-hmm. who like to watch Formula E. But also those people, I'm, uh, I believe, are also Formula One fans. So they watch it for different reasons. I think it's quite accessible, Formula E. You know, being in cities, if you're, uh, I remember anecdotally, we, we met some young guys that had come on the bus, I think it was, to the one of the races we'd been at in, in London because you could catch the bus from your suburb to, to the London race, whereas going to the Formula One race in Silverstone mm. was a lot harder to get to, especially if you just wanted to go with your friends rather than, you know, have to get mum and dad to drive you up to Silverstone for the day. So it's quite accessible being in cities and it's probably a slightly different audience, but it's very young audience as well. Um, so kind of 18 to 35 seems to be the, the sort of the strong area of, of Formula E. So would you say it's a, is it a younger audience in general than Formula One? Yeah, I think um, if you're uh, uh, probably a young person who's grown up with different type of technology, then maybe when you you know go to watch Formula One, maybe it's it's harder to access because you haven't been watching it for the last you know 25 years. So Formula E is new. So if you're a new to motorsports, maybe when you're 18 to 25 or something like that, then this is maybe your sport as such. It's the it's the new motor racing. Uh, your team won the the tournament last year. Is it, sorry, the uh, competition last year. Yeah, we're the we're actually two times in a row. Yeah, we've had three drivers' championships in a row now. Two with um, John Eric Verne, our French driver, um, and one with um, Antonio Felix de Costa, our, our Portuguese driver. And we've won the last two uh, teams' championships as well with DS Automobiles. So yeah, pretty cool at the moment. Give us a kind of a bit of a flavour of the uh, kind of the technical specs of the strategic cars. Sure. Um, so the, the powertrain is provided by DS Automobiles, and um, it's probably not a, a vehicle that's um, available all around the world, but they're um, reasonably prevalent in um, Europe. They make the powertrain, so it's 250 kilowatts, so uh, over 300 horsepower for the for the engine. Our batteries are very similar in size to, let's say, the road car. So I've got a DS3, which is an electric car, and it's got a 50 kilowatt hour battery, and, and the race car is about 52 kilowatt hours, so very similar in, in size. Acceleration, below two seconds. Top speed is, is kind of around 240 kilometers an hour. 
but that's optimized for the the racetracks that we race on so we keep it at that level because that's the best optimum for where we go could probably do about 270 280 if we um if we were optimizing for that type of track but we're optimizing for tracks in that sort of 240 range and about 900 kilos so yeah we've got two cars and um and uh some test cars that's that's basically what our car's like and i hear that formula e cars are, are relatively silent yeah, you can hear a sort of a whining noise from the inverters in the motors as they switch the electricity. And you can hear the gearboxes to a certain extent. But that means you can also hear the tires squealing and the brakes and, and the cars hitting the curbs. And so it's, it's quite an interesting experience, especially if you're sitting, let's say, near a, um, a chicane or something like that. And you can hear everything. I've sat in some of the stands during practice because you can, you can just hear everything. And you can also talk to your, the person next to you and say, oh, what do you think about that? What do you think about this? Whereas, you know, when you're in an F1 race, you can barely hear yourself think, which is an experience in itself, of course, but it's a different experience. So just back to sort of this, this dynamics of, you know, the relatively new competition and has it got a sort of a startup sort of feel about it? I mean, you've been in Formula One where it's it seems like serious business and there's a lot of money thrown at it, but the... um team dynamics now and you know is it sort of a very collaborative uh, or is it fierce competition between the teams or what does it feel like to be working in a team in such a new competition really i mean it, it, it's changed a lot since the beginning Where one of my old professors i did my mba at, at oxford university here and um he said well you're kind of a startup in a startup so the teams were startups and the series was a startup back well six years ago so it's, a, it's getting to be a long time now i think you really saw the big step changes in the first year. Everybody was trying to get things together and, and figure out if you could even go racing with an electric car. Some people didn't even think we could do it. So the first race, they went, oh, okay, you can you can actually do electric race cars. And then we came to, that was the generation one of the car. We introduced the generation two of the car in season five, which was now two years ago. And there's a generation three coming up in another two years time. And now having Porsche, Mercedes, and, and those guys who are used to racing at the highest level in the world in F1 and, and in Le Mans, for example, I think they've pushed us a lot harder and the professionalism is jumping really a lot every year. And I think we're, we're maybe not quite the same as F1 yet, but certainly because um, hopefully we'll be slightly different to them in, in what we're going to achieve in the, in the future. But um, yeah, I think we've come a long way in, in the six years. And so as we go into season seven, yeah, it's a different place than it was in, in season one. But I do believe we're still very collaborative and everybody's still pushing for you know what can happen and should we make any changes are there any interesting ideas that we can we can have for the future that makes the sport more exciting so everyone's still very collaborative but not quite as much of a startup as we used to be and i'd imagine the types of suppliers or, or partners that you're working with to create the cars might be quite different to the traditional f1 or is you know formula one already just so high tech anyway that it's a very similar set of suppliers i think um actually formula one introduced curs the kinetic energy recovery system back in i think it was 2009 and we as formula e have benefited from some of the trickle down of technology from from actually from formula one in order to kickstart uh, formula e back in sort of 2013 when everyone was preparing for F formula e so we have benefited from some of Formula One's technology, but we are now going probably our own way because we have different requirements. Our electric motors are more matched with what's happening in road cars, I say, for fully um, battery electric vehicles. So there's a lot more technology that's now focusing on you know, what's happening in, in road cars. So 
the both series are very high tech. Formula One's got a different focus at the moment. Obviously, with hybrid engines, they focus a lot more on aerodynamics and um, those elements, whereas we focus a lot more on the things that are relevant, hopefully, to to um, anybody that buys an EV. So the future, we're looking at faster charging. Um, we look at a lot of energy management because that's really relevant to you know driving your road car. So I'll give you a little example. In the race, the driver has to save something like 30% of the energy in order to make it to the end of the race. So they've got a lot of work to do in a Formula E car. And when you drive your road car, so I've got a DS3, a little electric um, crossback, uh, it's called a little SUV. It has very similar things. So you you can also save energy in, in the in, in that car, I know that one of the hybrids of DSs, you can save up to about 30% of energy in in a um, in a road car as well. So it's fun to try and compare, you know, driving styles to what's happening in, in Formula E. So I, I like it because it's very relevant to, to what's happening in road cars. Wow. With your sort of technical hat on now, you know, what do you think the um, the benefits or the, or the technologies that are kind of come directly from the Formula E competition into consumer vehicles? There's been a lot of innovation that has happened in Formula One that's then led into improvements in cars, etc. But um, it does feel like, you know, there's a new type of car emerging and that's the electric car rapidly on the streets of all cities are, uh, all over the world. And your competition is really sort of in tune with that. Yeah, I mean, we were talking um, with DS uh, the other day. We had a launch. Um, they launched one of their new vehicles and we also had a, a partners conference and, and the technical boss of um, DS Performance was, was giving us a bit of a rundown on what they'd found over the years because they've been involved in Formula E from the, from the beginning, basically. And um, it's funny because in racing, you're taking a lot of risks. So a road car will be on the road for, let's say, 10, 15 years or more. And therefore, you can't make mistakes, you know, when you when you design a new road car. So when they started in, in Formula E, they were really actually trying to define what some of the things would be it would be important in, in, a, in a race car that therefore would be important in a road car. So a lot of the initial energy management development was learning for the guys in their in their development departments. If you look at season one, all the cars had gearboxes. So we had um, five speed gearboxes in season one. And now I'm pretty sure all the, all the cars are a single speed and that's helped to define that in, in road cars as well. So it's funny because in racing, when you get confidence, because you can take a lot more risk in racing, if something goes wrong in racing, you can you can fix it, change the car. Mm. You homologate the cars every year, but if you come up with a new idea, you can change the design every year. So by taking more risk and experimenting more in motor racing, you help to guide uh, and showcase what's possible in road cars. And I know that the guys use a lot of the tools as well. So the design tools that they use in the uh, race cars, they can be used in the road cars to make a better road car. Okay. What's the length of the race and what's the range of your vehicles? Yes, actually, I was doing some comparisons to the road cars over the last few days. And basically, the races are 45 minutes long, plus one lap. And that makes it quite hard to predict how many laps in the race, because the 45 minutes could take slightly longer or slightly less. So you see sometimes on the track, some people running out of energy because they miscalculated how many laps would be in the race, because it's based on time. The, the races are approximately 100 kilometers long. So that's, that's, the, that's what we okay. work out there. Okay. Um, so that's deliberate to keep it good for television. So 45 minutes, uh, you know, everyone's got less attention span nowadays and, and yeah. likes to, uh, you know, come and watch something and then move on to the next thing. So 45 minutes seems to work nicely as a time period. So yeah, 100 kilometers roughly long, saving about 30% energy uh, or a little bit more to get to that 100 kilometers which provides some of the interest and, and difficulty for the drivers in the race. 
Does that mean they have to sl- slow down? And how does that work, that saving the... Yeah, so the top speed of the vehicle, at the top speed of your vehicle is when you burn the most energy. So mm. there's a trade-off between how fast you go in the race versus qualifying, for example. So qualifying is absolutely flat out, using as much energy as needed to go as fast as possible within the constraints of the power of the of the uh, powertrain. And in the race, basically, you lift, which means you lift off the accelerator near the top speed. And then when you get to a certain speed, you pull a paddle on the steering wheel, which then starts to regenerate energy into the battery. And then the driver touches the brakes um, and adds another level of deceleration. And in those phases, you can imagine the the vehicle has a thing called brake-by-wire, mm. which is also in, in a road car. So it's helping to switch between the physical brakes and using the engine to slow the vehicle down. So there's quite a lot of complexity in in saving the energy. And while doing that, mm. you're also being, you're racing other cars. So you've got to not be overtaken while you're trying to save energy. So it makes for a quite a difficult job for the driver, which which makes it a busy 45 minutes for them. Yeah, and no doubt for the team behind the scenes. Oh yeah. Obviously no pit stops in that in that 45 minutes? No, we don't have pit stops at the moment. We had some in the, yeah. in the first seasons. We actually swapped cars in the first seasons, but now we don't oh, have right. pit stops. But there's discussions about maybe doing pit stops again in the future to, to recharge. On the um, the topic of environment, if I want to just go back to that just a little bit, you know, clearly this is, this is a new era for racing. And, and I think we might see at one point, maybe 10 years from now, petrol-driven racing cars may not even be the thing. Is it all about the technical or is, is there you know, a, a lot of drive towards you know, sustainability? What are the initiatives here that are important relating to the environment? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Formula E is now the first sport that can um, announce that it's net zero since inception. So we've been monitoring all of the um, carbon footprint of the series. And then there's been offsetting programs that have now been put into place to um, make us net zero and we'll continue to be net zero and hopefully as many people say beyond zero in the future the one thing about electric vehicles is they are um, uh, emission free at point of use and there's obviously a lot of discussions about where does the electricity come from from the manufacturing of the cars that's something that people often question and also where does the electricity come from uh, when you're using a car now at the racetrack we're pushing quite hard to have renewable energy grid access to um to energy that's uh, renewable so in places like uruguay where we've raced before i believe they're now at 100 percent renewable in the in the country um so that's pretty impressive all the countries around the world the uk is growing incredibly in how much renewable energy is is on the grid i was talking to somebody from the national grid last week and they i said when should i charge my electric vehicle and he said well it's pretty easy you needed to do it when the the energy supply is the cleanest and also the cheapest, and those two usually match together. So I've been monitoring through a couple of websites, looking at you know when is energy the the cheapest and the cleanest. And in the UK, given a lot of wind power and stuff like that, in here in Scotland and other places, it's actually during the night uh, is the best time to charge an electric vehicle. So yes, yeah, it's, it's a really big focus. We're really keen to make sure that the energy we use is renewable. It's not always possible. Um, sometimes, you know, we're in a place where it's just really difficult to get that. But the the target for the future is to be uh, all energy that's used in, in Formula E to be fully renewable, quite a high percentage already. I'm, I'm not sure what the actual percentage is, but we're working very hard there. And then as a race series, there's lots of um, things going on. We've got a partnership with 
the Big Cat Sanctuary. So as our team name is to Cheetah, obviously the word Cheetah is in that name. And we've got a partnership with the Big Cat Sanctuary in uh, in the UK where we um, support um, them. Both cars have um, the names of the Cheetahs, uh, two of the Cheetahs at the Sanctuary. And we're looking to do other projects around the world to, to support uh, in areas that we can. I'm quite keen myself on, on doing things to do with um, tree planting and, and obviously seeing if we can protect habitats of, of animals like um, the cheetah. So everybody's very, very focused on that area. And it's, and it's a really interesting part of the whole ecosystem and, and very much front of mind. And, and electric vehicles out in you know the cities now, I mean, uh, clearly Tesla is just all over the media, richest man in the world, et cetera. So the rise of consumer electric vehicles now, clearly there's a, there's a real trend for electric vehicles and a lot of legislation. How do you think this phenomenon is going to impact the popularity of Formula E? Yeah, I think as more people, you know, drive an electric car, they might be curious about what's the fastest electric car and how they can compare their vehicle to somebody else's vehicle. You know, maybe if someone's driving a DS, they want to compare to uh, their friend who's driving an Audi or a BMW or something. Um, so I'm sure that the fascination with, you know, technology doesn't go away. So I think as the knowledge gets more and more, you know, each year we grow in terms of viewership. I think it's somewhere like 20% of growth or, or more. I think it is from um, fans coming to Formula E as we go to more cities around the world. Um, people get more curious about what's going on. So yes, yeah, as, as it's always about, for me, it's about relevance. So as you start considering an electric vehicle, you might start saying, how do I know what the best electric vehicle is? And of course, I'm biased. Of course, the DS is the best electric vehicle because we've won the last two drivers and teams championships. So hopefully, as you start to do some research on on uh, what's out there in the in the world of electric vehicles, you'll you'll come and have a look at a DS and and maybe go and have a test drive, and, and that might get you interested in Formula E. I hope so. Are there um are there other learnings from from consumer cars into your competition? It's always dialogue, obviously, going on between the road car uh, development engineers and, and the race car engineers. And yes, if there's something that gets uh, seen in the, in the road cars that they'd like to have more knowledge on, or at least try out as a concept, that's definitely possible. So technically behind the scenes, yes, I think there are some, some areas that maybe the, the R&D guys in the road cars say, you know, if this works in, ro- in racing, maybe we could use it in road cars. And the same same the other way around, there's, there's a constant dialogue. But we've also got, you know, good partners. So I'll give you an example where one of our partners is um, FSEC, who is a charging company. They provide the chargers. So mm. they're obviously feeding into what's happening. Um, Mali is a big German um, company, tier one supplier, who is working with us on some of the concepts that they use in other forms of racing they're bringing to Formula E. Hopefully those things then carry over to the road cars as well. So hopefully constant dialogue, you know, all the partnerships we have can feed to each other, experiment on the racetrack and hopefully come to the road at some point in the future. We hear that you're also involved in many other projects. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about those, especially Street Drone. Yeah, so Street Drone is our autonomous car company. We were actually approached a few years ago, gosh, it's probably five years ago or so now, uh, because of our knowledge in in developing cars uh, to look at an autonomous car for a company called Oxbotica. And my partner and I, he um, he runs the company from day to day, so I don't do that day to day. I just feed in ideas from my technical experience in, in motorsport. So yeah, we we um, we manufacture autonomous cars. We sell those to everything from universities to startups around the world. So there's ones as far away from me anyway, back in Australia in, in Monash University, in places like Hong Kong, uh, a lot of the u- universities in the UK have them, test tracks here, uh, Germany, Netherlands, and other places. 
and we're starting to focus down on all sorts of areas like 5G and how 5G telecommunications are going to work with autonomous cars. We're doing a project up at Nissan Sunderland plant where we are making an autonomous truck. So we're getting into logistics. Oh yeah. And and we see that the the near term future and as you know we're all experiencing deliveries are not going to go away. I think we get a delivery every day, I think, from Amazon and and others. Mm. So we're looking very carefully at low-speed autonomy. So that means we think that the closest thing to market is uh, last-mile deliveries, which means to your house, maybe from the shops locally, traveling less than 20 miles an hour so that it's easier for the technology to deal with any problems, et cetera. And um, so you might be able to go and get your next Amazon delivery fully autonomously. So that's that's where we're focusing at Street Drone. Oh, fantastic! Final question here: Could the future of racing be driverless? So we've we've you know we got involved in Robo Race at the beginning. We were helping them to design some of the elements of their autonomous race cars. I think the biggest difficulty is we as people like to watch other people in competition. So that's one of the difficulties I'm interested in, obviously, because it's um, it's a competition and it's related to autonomy. One of the areas that we could see might happen is the times when the race driver doesn't need to be in control. So for example, coming down pit lane maybe could be fully autonomous, that the car could come down pit lane and maybe park itself in the garage. Or under the safety car, you know, if there's been an accident on track, maybe the cars could go into an autonomous mode. So there are a couple of areas where um, we think maybe autonomy might work to demonstrate some of the autonomous technology, but we haven't seen it quite yet, but um, something that's being talked about. A big thank you for Mark Preston, who's the team principal for DS Cheetah. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. No problem, been great to talk. That's all for this episode of Racing Green. Thanks for joining us. Racing Green is produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Chris Bristow, Georgina McGiven, in collaboration with the Camden Clean Air Initiative. It was recorded at Serendipity Studios, Camden, North London, with music and sound design by Chris Bristow.